Thank you, Joan and Leslie, for reading. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we come to your house of prayer, we acknowledge your presence and we thank you for welcoming us into your community of people of faith. And we ask that the Spirit of God continue to move among us and draw us closer and closer to you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad to be back after, what, seven months? Uh, my teeth are, are still being uh, fixed, and so my voice is still a bit, uh, my sound may sound a little bit distorted. Um, praise be to God. Um, today we are looking at a passage that uh, many of us are very familiar with. Uh, you probably had that uh, previous uh, last week's reading, but if not, I'll remind you that last week um, we heard about Jesus with his disciples on their way to Jerusalem, and uh, he met a young rich ruler who came and asked him by addressing him, first of all, good teacher, and asked what must he do to inherit the kingdom of God uh, or eternal life. And there God, uh, Jesus told him uh, that you need to go and sell everything and give to the poor and then come and follow him. And we knew that that young man's face turned. Uh, he was uh, very sad and he went away uh, quite empty-handed. And so today we come to this passage of Mark chapter 10. In fact, uh, I begin from verse 32. Uh, where Jesus and his disciples were on their way up to Jerusalem. Uh, those of you who have been to Jerusalem, you will know that, that Jerusalem is uh, on a little hill. Uh, if you are on the Mount of Olives, you look across, there's a valley, and then the old city up on the hill. So from most directions coming to Jerusalem, we have to go up the elevation. And so Jesus is uh, here with his um, disciples on their way to Jerusalem. And interestingly, uh, here we say that Jesus is leading the way, and the disciples were astonished. Um, unusual uh, that is mentioned that he's leading the way. Uh, I take it for granted that Jesus was quite away ahead of them, rather than like he usually did with his disciples around him, and as they walk, he, he taught them and explained the truth to them. But in this case, Jesus was very determined and specifically heading towards Jerusalem like he was uh, going on a very specific mission. And of course, that mission is that he was going to die in Jerusalem. So the disciples were astonished because they kind of heard that some bad things was going to happen when they get to Jerusalem and that Jesus was so determined to go ahead. So they were very astonished. And I also uh, believe that there were those uh, who were not the, the regular 12 disciples among them. They were following because the Bible says, while those who follow were afraid, uh, afraid of what uh, is yet to be uh, discovered. So again, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them 
what was going to happen to them. Uh, why again? Because Jesus had already twice uh, told them, once in uh, chapter 8 of Mark, verse 31, barely announcing that he was going to be uh, killed. And then in chapter 9, again, in chap- uh, chapter 9, 31, there he hinted that he was going to be betrayed. Uh, and of course, uh, we knew that later on he was betrayed by Judas. And uh, here, the third time that he um, mentioned something that is even more specific or more details, and actually it's very gruesome, uh, the way that he explained to them that he was going to uh, up to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So this is the third time that Jesus uh, gave them uh, this news of him being uh, to be betrayed, uh, not only betrayed by his own disciple that he didn't say yet, because it's uh, five days before the uh, Passover, and five days later, Jesus will be crucified, of course, uh, uh, and the night before that, he was betrayed by Judas. But then he was going to be handed over uh, to the Gentiles, um, first condemned by the religious leaders, but they have no power to sentence him to death. So handed over to the Gentiles, that is Pilate, and then uh, he was to be mocked, to be spit on, and to be beaten and then eventually to be crucified. So when we uh, think of Jesus' crucifixion or the death of Jesus, uh, what kind of pictures usually come to our mind? Uh, Of course, uh, we think of the cross. Uh, In some uh, older tradition, the the Catholic, Anglo tradition, uh, they still have the crucifix where the uh, a figure of Jesus is still hung on the cross. Uh, if you go to the cathedral, it's still there. Uh, I have actually encouraged my parishioners uh, not to have that, uh, just a plain cross to remind us that our Lord has risen from the dead and he's no longer hung on the cross. But of course, uh, we have all sorts of images that we have uh, been given, uh, a statue, uh, a picture, including a lot of blockbusters uh, of uh, movies, like the one that you probably remember, Gibson's, Mel Gibson's 2004, I think. Uh, he directed that movie called The Passion of Christ. Very gruesome, very dark. Uh, we may have those pictures, but no matter how much we have in terms of visual or imagined uh, uh, situation, like most cases, when we say we understand, we know, but actually we don't. It's only Jesus himself who was uh, put into put through all these uh, sufferings from the night before the, the trial and the next day on Good Friday, what we call the Good Friday, and until he was uh, nailed to the cross, died on the cross. We would never know. We will never be able to know the pain and the suffering. But nevertheless, uh, it's all captured 
uh, by um, people over the years. And in the epistle reading today, uh, Paul quoted a, an early church hymn. And it is in one sentence, in one verse, it captures the death of Jesus. And being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient uh, to death, even death on a cross. So, in the early church, they have already written hymns, and they summarize the death of Jesus in just one verse, one sentence. But it's very crucial that we have the cross uh, in our theology. In fact, this the, the theology of the cross is very much Martin Luther, the reformer, uh, theology, that without the cross, there is really no salvation. Uh, without the cross, there is no atonement. Uh, Jesus come, came to, into this world, and he knew that ultimately he would die, and uh, when he explained to his disciples the third time, that's what's going to happen to him, because he knew that the Romans would uh, have him crucified. So this is what um, we know of uh, the, the, uh, the verses before uh, we come to uh, what we have heard read to us in verse 35. Uh, so here we have James and John. Um, as if, you know, after three years you would have thought they have learned a lot of things, which they did. Uh, many of us went to universities and colleges and we did three years of learning something. And when we came out from college, and we said, what did I learn? You know, um, I went to Bible college in London and uh, did three years there. And, uh, and I went home. And the first time I had to do a funeral, I said, gosh, I don't know what to do. Um, especially a funeral that was quite uh, unusual, completely unusual. I never had one like that again because the man went uh, hunting and he... he discharged his gun and shot his leg and he died in the forest and it involved coronal examination, police and all things so I didn't know what to do now, so three years sometimes we don't learn much and so we went again do another three years so all together I did about seven years of studies um, and uh, I still am learning I'm still a student so here James and John they thought now or never we better put in our, our request, and uh, this is it. So it's uh, what uh, another Chinese proverb I'm trying to throw to you is uh, the he who strikes first prevails. Ah, so they came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want to ask you to, uh, to do something for us. He said, all right. And so here they came. Basically, is what they think, you know, we do it now before the others uh, we come and request the, about the same thing. So give me, give me, give me type of, uh, you know, you name, you claim, and that's yours uh, mentality. And sometimes we see these uh, in, in church ministry uh, among even people like us, clergy, that uh, we think uh, by putting in the request first, we'll get it first, and above uh, others or before the others. So the 
wonderful thing is that following Jesus, we talk to Jesus, and Jesus is there for us to communicate and talk to, and he will never turn his face away from anyone who seeks him. And here, these two disciples were quite confident uh, that they will be heard, and so they came and asked Jesus, we want you to do something for us. Um, and yes, this Jesus is there to hear us. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? A wonderful response. What do you want me to do for you? And all of us here, when we get a call, and probably you say, yes, what can I do for you? Isn't it? What can I do for you? How may I help you? Or you see someone on the street a bit lost. You see someone in the parking uh, basement in the supermarket uh, a bit lost. You go up there and say, can I help you? Find your car. <laughs> uh, you, you often find people wandering around with the trolley and, and where's my car? And you do that. And you get the, the buzzer and then you click, click and see the light. Buck, buck, and then, oh, there, there's your car. And uh, you help someone to cross the street. And uh, yesterday I was in, in, in Woolworths, and then this child was in front of me looking for his mother. And he was going right, and I heard the mother on the next aisle, I'm here, I'm here. Hey, I said, you, look, your mom will be here, there, there, go. So you have to uh, help when, like Jesus say, what can I do for you? Which is our, yeah, um, normal practice. And their request is quite straightforward, looks like quite straightforward. Oh, he says, uh, when you come into your glory, let one of us sit on your left and one of us sit on your right side. It doesn't matter who. Uh, you have the choice. You make the appointment, but make sure two of us uh, are there. The, instead of the theology of the cross, here they are the theology of glory. When you come into your glory, we would like to be by your side. The most prominent and most powerful places that uh, is uh, uh, there for anyone to call rule with you. You see, they, even though they have understood a, a lot about what Jesus' mission is, and they have misunderstood here that Jesus was going to die, die. You know, he's going to die dead dead, died, and not establishing a kingdom, and Jesus sits on the throne physically, and then he appoints all his ministers, establishing a political, religious, socially uh, structured uh, society or country, nation. So they have the theology of glory, like um, what the world is emphasizing, and you remember the 19th century philosopher called Friedrich Nietzsche, who uh, Nischke, or Nietzsche, a German name, who wrote a book, The Will to Power, uh, with the basic premise that, that in every human being, there is this uh, aspiration for Influence, aspiration uh, for uh, significance that uh, need to be 
need to be fed or need to be enhanced. Therefore, yes, we humankind, we have this desire to climb up, to be better, and back to be excellent and to be the best and the, the number one. And a lot of times we see uh, the world does that. And in doing so, we step over many others. We even uh, destroy lives in order to get to where we want to be. And this is the power of the will to power theory. Well, God created each and every one of us with a significance. Our lives have meaning. We have mission. Uh, and this is a virtue that we want to perpetuate. But when we cross the line of power and glory, then this virtue leads us to sin. In fact, historic theologians have called, uh, has uh, defined sin. Sin is the virtue that has run amok, out of control. Out of control virtue leads to sinning. So here, they wanted glory. Let us sit one on your left, one on your right, and we will be uh, serving your kingdom as your right and left hand men. A virtue that they want to raise uh, or, or encourage in, in achieving that. So, Jesus said, this is something that you won't be able to because are you able to drink the cup that I have to drink? Are you able to go through the baptism of fire and judgment that I am going through? And uh, to them, it's a cup, of cake, a cup of tea or a piece of cake. Pass it on to us and we will drink the cup and we will be able to do the, uh, go through the baptism that you are talking about. Um, they underestimated what Jesus is uh, meaning here. The cup is the cup of judgment, the cup of uh, the bitter cup. This is before the Monday Thursday, before Jesus went and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus actually asked the Father to take the cup away if that was his will. It was so painful and so heavy. Uh, the wrath of God, when you drink the cup, which is the wrath of God because of the judgment of sin uh, is now uh, to, be, to be loaded or loaded onto Jesus' shoulders. Uh, this cup is not what they, the two brothers, could handle. In fact, they were not asked to do that. It was the Lord, the Son of Man, the Messiah. He drinks that cup. And the baptism, of course, is not a few drops of water or a whole pool of water for us to be immersed in. The ceremony, uh, the public declaration and witness. But it is the essence of death. So when I explain to my con congregants that baptism is actually a symbol of our uh, death 
and burial. And it is something that we Chinese don't like to think about. You know, you have something happy, you don't want to mention the word death or someone die. But this is exactly what coming into faith in Jesus, believing in Jesus, and we have to declare to the world, I'm dead to sin. And from there, I'm risen with Christ because he has given me new life. So here, Jesus said, you will not be able to drink this cup, nor can you um, have a baptism of fire like I am going through. In fact, he said that for the places of left and right, it's not mine to decide. In fact, it has been decided too late now that you have uh, come too late because it's been decided in eternity by the Heavenly Father who would sit on the left and who would sit on the right. But nevertheless, they can, we can do it, we can do it. Give it to me, give it to me. And um, so that provoked uh, great resentment, uh, indignation, the Bible says, indignation among the other ten. Uh, why were they indignant? Why were they upset? Um, you could guess. Perhaps they, they were not the first one to ask for these places. They didn't have the chance to ask first. Or they really were indignant that they, uh, he, these two brothers dared to ask at this moment for places of glory. But Jesus said, those who want to be first will be, uh, must be willing to serve others. Those who want to be great must be slave of all. And this is something that following Jesus are called to be. It's not the glorious places or the names or even the ranks that we sometimes so um, aspire to, to have. Um, we pray for Pastor Joseph uh, and uh, the other pastor um, that they will serve the Lord uh, in, among the communities and beyond. Uh, but it's not something that now I am the reverend or I'm so-and-so. Um, but we see the world does that. The world does that, that they want to have titles and names and uh, ranks, powers, influence. But Jesus is not allowing that to happen among his disciple, disciples, knowing that they have been bombarded, influenced by the world. He said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And he's not just saying that, but he's demonstrating that in his own life or through his death on the cross. So here he says, for even the Son of Man, myself, have come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His going to Jerusalem is not that somebody will take him and kill him, but his going to Jerusalem is his willingness to surrender or to give his life so that he could become the 
all the sin of the nation and of all mankind and have the peace that God wants to give to humankind established. So here Jesus says, I come that I give. It's not I come to get and to take. I'm willingly surrendering myself. So when the Philippians uh, letter are quoting that wonderful song, that wonderful hymn, him being in the nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance of, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Jesus is not only the sacrificial lamb, uh, according to Philippians chapter 2, uh, according to the songwriters in the early church. In fact, he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise be to God. So today, as we consider following Jesus, we follow him all the way, constantly talk to him and we serve him by serving one another, serving others. I was talking to Jill uh, about the nomination and uh, she brought out something that is beautiful. She said, these few months a lot of us are coming out from the woodwork. Woodwork? Is that right? And uh, rising to serve which is wonderful. Sometimes we we can do better without a, a good pastor around so that we shine a little bit. But when you get a new pastor, please don't hide away again. Please don't. Because we need more servants uh, to be serving one another, this community and the community beyond. Let us pray. We pray according to Ignatius of Loyola. Lord Jesus, Teach us to be generous. Teach us to serve as you deserve. To give and not to count the cost. To fight and not to heed the wounds. To labor and not to seek to rest. To give of ourselves and not ask for a reward. Except the reward of knowing that we are doing your will. you please stand with me and we affirm our faith together.